you know, it's, 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 uh, it's important for us just to remember that, you know, it's, it's like a team, you know, us with these other churches. Uh, Shepherd of the Hills, uh, Dudley Rutherford, man, it's just, he's just one of the coolest guys I know. And um, I just want us to always be careful because it's easy in churches sometimes to slander other churches or say bad things. Some of you maybe have come from other churches and you want to come out of there and say negative things about them. You guys, this, this isn't the place for that. Um, these guys are, are a team with us. These guys are like brothers to me. And uh, we just want to, again, just publicly acknowledge that uh, we're unified with these guys and we're, we're on a mission together. Um, don't, you know, when we talk about reaching out, when I say reach out, it doesn't mean you go to another Bible teaching church and try to get them to come over here. Say, hey, our church is better than yours. Okay, you know, the whole idea is, is we want all these other churches to be built up, to be strong, to keep encouraging people. You know, unless they're in some wacko church that doesn't teach the Bible, then yeah, tell them to leave. You know, but, but you know, if it's a good Bible teaching church, just stay there and say, you know what, you've you got to serve there. Um, you know, we, we don't want people just floating around church to church to church, kind of shopping, you know, for, for, for what suits their needs the best. And that, that happens a lot when we forget our mission, Okay. We forget that, that we, along with the other churches in Simi Valley and in this area, we're working together to, to tell the rest of the world about what a great God we have and get to other people to follow the same God that we have. We're, we're working together. And when we lose that mission and we forget, gosh, that's why we exist, that's when the church gets really weird. You know, and we start uh, nitpicking little things and saying, well, I don't like this about that church. I don't like this about that church. And, and we forget, you know what, the, at the core of what this is all about is... We're on a mission. We're working together. We want everyone out in this area to fall in love with God, um, to understand what Jesus has done for them. And, and there's, this, there's, this, uh, there's this old story that, uh, that I remember hearing when I was in high school. And, and, and back then, everyone would use this illustration, this story. And, but but you, you know how some things, they get so old that they become cool again? You know, they go through that weird phase, but then, you know, they get older and it's, Cool again. It's like Bob Ferguson, you know. It's just a cool. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but uh, it, it's. <laughs> I haven't teased you in years. I, I used to bug him every week, and you know, I, I know he's missed it. Um, but but there's this story that I remember as, as a teenager hearing in my youth group, and it was about the church. It was a uh, you know just this little story. Any ever heard the story of the life-saving station? Anyone heard of that story? No one. It's like an old classic dog. Yeah, as a youth pastor, you, you heard as a kid a couple of oh yeah, because you ran sound the last three services. Um, but but you know, <laughs> but it's it's just it's 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 a cool story. Okay, I'm just going to read to you. On a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occur, you know, I, I was realizing last night I've never read a story in 11 years. You know, as pastor, I've never read a story, so this is a really important moment. <laughs> but it's kind of fun. Pretend like I'm tucking you into bed. And I go, okay, I got a story for you. On a dangerous seacoast, okay. No, seriously, on a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once this, this crude little life saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, and a few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea with no thought for themselves. They just went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little life-saving station, so it became famous. So some of those who had been saved and various others from the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with this station and give of their time, their money, their effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought, 
New life-saving crews were trained, and a little life-saving station grew. Now, some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped, and they felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those who were saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots and beds with better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. They decorated it, they beautifully furnished it, and, and because it, it became something like a club. Few members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired boat crews to do the work instead. And the life-saving motif still prevailed in the life-saving club's decorations, and there was a huge lifeboat in the room where the club held its initiations, but professionalism had taken over and displaced the original purpose of life-saving. Now, about this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in loads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty, sick, and the new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where the victims of shipwrecked could be cleaned up before they came inside. And at the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. See, most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activity because it was unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members, though, insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose, and they pointed out that they were still called the life-saving station. But they were finally voted down, and they were told that if they wanted to save the lives of all sorts of people who were shipwrecked in the waters and dirty and wet, then they could just begin their own life-saving station down the coast a little ways. And so they did that. And as the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that occurred in the old one. It then evolved into a club, and another life-saving station was founded. And history continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that coast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore, which are very professional in nature. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. It's just a, it's a great analogy of what happens in the church, right? You know, you become a Christian, and it's like, oh, I've got to tell everyone about this, this good news. I go out and tell everyone. You know, and then once we get in here, you know, it, it can become like this club, you know, where it's like, okay, let's, let's make a really nice little room for ourselves. Let's get real comfortable. And, you know, we've got a few services now. We've kind of got our, our system down. We've been in this room for a while. Let's not grow any bigger. Let's not tell any more people, because then we'll need another building. We're kind of happy with where it is right now. And we kind of lose our vision and forget, wait a second, what do we exist for? We're here to give every single person in our community an accurate picture of God. We want everyone to get this and understand this God and to remember that, you know what, that's our function, that's our purpose, this is why we exist. And when we forget, when we forget that we are on a mission, this place is going to fall apart. It just will. It's not even just about the church. I mean, this happens with relationships, marriages. When you in a marriage, you forget that you're here on this earth for a reason. You've got a purpose. The two of you are here as ambassadors for God. You're here to tell people you know, the good news of Jesus. You're working together to be an example to those in your community, in your neighborhood. And you forget, gosh, we're here on the earth to serve the Lord. Once you forget that mission, then you just start looking inwardly and you start bickering about, well, I don't like this about you. I don't like this about you. And you start picking each other apart and the family falls apart. Same thing happens in the, in the church. I mean, it's, it's relationships. You become like Shaq and Kobe. 
You know, you forget, oh yeah, we're supposed to win a championship. And it's like, well, I don't like this about you. I don't like that. You know, and suddenly it's like the Lakers stink. You know, and, and it's all, it, it's this whole idea of we, we forgot the mission. And we just start bickering amongst ourselves. And you guys, I, I, just, I just don't want that to ever happen in this church. Where we just sit and you come each week, you start critiquing this or that, or oh, maybe I'll try something else. Or you came from another church and go, yeah, I didn't like this about them. Someone try this one out. And it's all about us. And it's like the social club, and we want to get rid of the things we don't like, rather than remembering, you guys, we're just on a mission here. We, we are here, we want to tell the world about what a great God we have. And, uh, and that's why Shepherd of the Hills, Rocky Peak, the other churches in this area, we, we exist for that, and we work together for that. And have you forgotten the purpose of this life-saving station, the purpose of this church, is to be a light in our community and the world? You know, God, God makes it clear what our purpose on earth is. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, gosh, the more I study this passage, the more I just love it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I, I think it spells out real clearly why we're here, why, why I'm still alive, why you're still alive, what our purpose is on the earth. There's a mission here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 18, it says this, All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Okay, so, so he starts off and he says, all this is from God. But I mean, what, what's all this? He's referring back to, uh, to, to verse 17. And verse 17 is a verse that a lot of us are familiar with. It says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. You know, the, the old is gone, new things have come. That, that if anyone's in Christ, that, that, that those of you that are here today, that you believe in Jesus Christ, that you're a completely different creation, the Bible says. You're a whole different being than you used to be. Do you believe that? Because earlier he's saying that, that God put His Spirit into you, so you're a completely different creation now. I mean, do you really think of yourself in that way? As, it's night and day. That was the old me, this is the new me. And, and those old things, they're gone, and, and new things have come. I'm a, I'm a complete new creation. And the Bible says all of that came from God. It's not like you did that on your own. God turned you into this new creation, and He says all of this is from God who reconciled us to Himself. Okay? Who reconciled us to Himself. What, is it, what does it mean to reconcile? Let's say Jeff and I were, were in a fight. Let's say, say Jeff and I are just at enmity with each other. We just cannot stand each other. Every time we see each other, we just want to tear each other apart. And, and uh, I'm getting into it, huh? You know, and... Uh, and, 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 and let's say that he and I reconcile. What, what would that mean? We forgave each other? We just forgave the differences? What else? What does it mean if, if we reconciled? That, that we both kind of compromised? Yeah, we're, we're not fighting anymore. We're, we're, we're tight. We're back together. We put things back together. That, that, that's, that's good. You know, it, it's, it's just we, we mended things. We fixed things. And there's relationship again. Now, it's interesting because this, this verse says that God reconciled us to Himself. There's this reconciliation. But the interesting thing is that in the Greek, there are two different words for reconciliation, to reconcile. One of the words means that the two parties came together 
and they had a mutual agreement. Like Jeff and I got together and said, hey, you know what, let's not fight. I go, oh man, I'm sorry what I said. And Jeff says, wow, I'm so glad you're not angry anymore because I know you could beat me up. And we, we just go, we, we just, you know, and we, we just kind of talked together over lunch and we just kind of worked it out. And it's like, okay, so you're cool? Yeah, I'm cool. You're cool, you're cool. You know, you know we hug, we're, we're, we're brothers again. That, that's one word for reconciliation. But there's another word for reconciliation. It's a word that's used here. It means that one of the parties took care of his part, that he's okay with the situation. That means Jeff may still be mad, but, but I, in my own heart, can honestly say, you know what, I don't hold anything against him anymore. I've taken care of that. I'm totally fine with Jeff. See, and that's the word that's used here, is that God, on his part, you see, there was enmity between us and God, because we've done things that are offensive to God, Right? We've done things that are just offensive and, and they're sinful and He's perfectly just, so He has to punish us. So it's like, okay, we're not in good standing right now. You're a holy God. You hate sin. I'm sinning against you. Man, that's not good. I deserve your punishment. But the verb here is saying that what God has done is He's made His part okay. He's reconciled His enmity, His justice through Christ. See, what he did is saying, you know what, yeah, I know on my part, I should punish you for your sins. And I have to punish you for your sins. But I'm okay now because you know what I've done? Is I've made my part okay by having Jesus die on the cross. See, my son, I, I, took, I had to pour out wrath. But rather than pouring it out on you, I poured it all out on my son. So in that way, I could fix my part of it. I don't have to be angry at you. I don't have to punish you. I don't have to be at enmity with you. I reconciled this, so I'm totally fine with you now through Christ, through what was done on the cross. It's, it's, it's an awesome passage. It, it, it's a beautiful picture. But after he says that, that God reconciled us to himself through Christ, it says, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay? He says, so now that I've done my part, what I'm giving you is I, I need you to go to the people and explain that to them so that on their end, they're still not at enmity with me. And that they accept the forgiveness that I'm freely giving. It's going to the other party and saying, your job is go to the other party now and tell them, I don't have to be mad at them. I don't have to punish them. Good news, my son took it all. And he goes, I'm giving you that ministry, that service, that's your job. I've done my part. God's saying, I did my part. Man, I reconciled you to myself, and now what I'm giving you is this ministry of reconciliation where you go to the people and get them to make themselves right before the Lord, to accept this forgiveness that I'm offering. Because God's saying, I, I want things to be together. I want to spend eternity with these people on the earth. And so go down there. You go tell the people that, you know what? They can be right with me, and we can fix this thing because I've already taken care of the penalty. And it's, a, it's an awesome service you know, that God has, has given us. It says that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Isn't that a great phrase? Not counting men's sins against them. I love that phrase because I can look at my life and I still, you know, man, don't you still sometimes feel guilty, bad about things you've done in the past? where you just go, gosh, I, that was so dumb. Why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why did I do that? And then you read a verse like that that reminds you, you know what? God doesn't count that against you anymore. 
Isn't that the greatest feeling? It's like, man, so I can think of all the garbage in my life right now and just, just put that phrase to all of it. God doesn't count that against me anymore. Why? Because He took care of it on the cross. He reconciled His part. He did count that against me, but because His Son died on the cross and I've accepted that forgiveness, He doesn't count that against me anymore. And now my ministry is to tell other people about that. That's what I'm on the earth to do. He's given me that ministry. It makes it even clearer in the second part of verse 19 when he says, He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. The word committed, it means He literally placed it on us. He placed it in our hands. It's like, here, let me give it to you. It's your job now. I'm giving you the message. The message, I mean, what's the message? The message is, is, is that, hey, you were guilty. You sinned against this God, but... Jesus already paid for your, your, your penalty. That's the message. God loved you, even though you sinned against Him. And Jesus paid for it, so He doesn't count that against you anymore if you believe in His Son. That's the message. And He says, look, I give you the message, and you're supposed to give it to everyone else. Now, you've got to understand, when, when we're given this message, we can't control the people's response, Right? We can tell them, hey, this is what God did for you, but we can't control the response. And I, said, I know sometimes we get frustrated because we want to make people believe. You know, we want to make people be excited about the news like we were. And it doesn't always happen that way. It's like if I told you guys, I go, hey, I got great news for you guys today, just for the 1130 service. Okay, because I know you guys, this is during lunchtime, and you should be eating lunch, you know, and, and yet you stay here. How many of you ate before you came? How many of you are waiting until afterwards to eat? Okay, most of you, oh, that's good. So that, you know, the longer I talk, the more bugged you get, huh? You know, but, but what if I told you, hey, you guys, good news. For the 1130 service today, okay, this morning when I was coming to my office, the manager up there at the corner at Canon Japan, he said, you know what, for the 1130 service, you know, because they have to stay late and everything else, after service, everyone from the 1130 crowd can come to Ken of Japan and eat all the sushi they want for free. Okay, the sushi bar will be open. You can eat as much as you want. Yeah, you know, it's like yellowtail, you know, tuna, just all that raw fish, you know, you know, the baked eel, you know, and, and you know, baked octopus, everything. It's all there for free as much as you want. How many of you would be excited about that? All right. How many of you would say, I could care less, I hate sushi. Okay, most of you. You see, that's, that's the whole thing, is, is I can tell you there's good news, you know, but some of you are just going to go, I don't care, I hate, that's gross, you know, I, I, I wouldn't go there if you paid me, and, and please don't go, I, that was an illustration, okay, I didn't, seriously, okay, it's just an illustration, I don't want you going over there going, Francis said, you know, no, it's just an illustration, but the, the whole idea is, is, when I present the gospel, it's the same way. You know, well, when you say, hey, guess what? Your sins were wiped out. You're free. God doesn't hold that against you anymore. Jesus paid for it on the cross. Some of you in this room, you got so excited about that. You just thought, man, no way. You're kidding me? Forgiveness is free. Heaven is free. I, I can have all of this. And you were, it was a rush. It was, it was the most exciting moment of your life when you got that and you heard that good news. But other people, you tell them the same thing and they go, I don't care. I, I don't even like Jesus. 
I, I, don't, I don't even believe any of that stuff. I don't even need forgiveness. I'm a good person. Why do I need that stuff? You know, you, you can have your little happy belief system and your little crutch in life, but I don't need any of that. See, and I can't control... You know, it's, it's, just like, it's just like the sushi. It's like some of you, it's the greatest news in the world and you're going to be running over there afterwards and others just be like, why do I care? It's the same thing with God and it's frustrating, isn't it? Because you, you want everyone to, to understand what, a, what, what great news this is. And, and God says, I, I've placed this. And, and, and not only that, has He committed to us, but He says in verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. You see that? God, how does God speak to the people on the earth? Through us. That, that word is, it literally means that we are the ones that come alongside these people. God is not going to shout today, you know, at, at noon and tell the whole world the Gospel. He says He makes the appeal through us. He's handed us that responsibility. He gives us the message. He gives us the responsibility. And He says, you guys get to go and tell the good news. I, I, I've given you that. I make my appeal through you. And you now are my ambassadors. That word ambassador, that's, that's a pretty heavy word. I mean, that means you are the representative of God. You know, like, you know how like we have the U.S. has ambassadors to other nations and they represent the U.S. for us? You know, they need to represent us well, right? Not just their words, but the way they carry themselves, the way they conduct themselves, because they're representing a whole country. You don't want some, you know, guy, you know, representing the U.S., you know, smoking a joint. You know, it's just, no, no, show some respect. You're representing my country. And the same way, God says, do you understand who you represent? You are my ambassadors. I use you to give my message to the world. So don't give them this, you know, half-hearted, lazy, ugly picture of me. You represent me. I make my appeal through you. That's the way he speaks to the world. And that's why we have to be careful of our conduct, how we conduct ourselves. I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I'm an ambassador of God. You know, I, on, on the way home from Africa, I was sitting next to this girl a couple weeks ago on the airplane and just tried to understand her life and talk to her. And then, she, you know, I asked her what she believed and she said she was Muslim. And, and I said, so you believe in a holy God, right? She goes, oh, totally. A God to be feared. And I, and I said... So you, you believe that you've broken His laws, right? His commands? And she goes, oh, absolutely. We all have. And I said, absolutely. I, I, said, I said, so you agree then that because you've broken His commands, He has to punish you because that's what a fair God does. He punishes crimes. Because yes, he must, he must punish because He's a fair judge. And I said, so at the end of your life, why would you be forgiven by this God? Why would He forgive you? And she says, oh, He won't. I said, so you're going to spend your rest, the rest of your life and basically your belief is you wait until you die and then you're going to be punished for your crimes. And that's what you're waiting for. She says, yes. She goes, but I pray and I, and I pray that uh, you know, have mercy on me. I said, but if He shows mercy, then he, he can't be just. He has to punish. He has to punish or He's not fair anymore. And then I went through the Old Testament with her and explained, I go, don't you understand, this God in heaven, 
He wants you to know that you don't have to be punished by Him at the end of His life. You can be forgiven. All through the Old Testament, He's promised this deliverer. And I went through the prophecies with her and explained to her, I go, look, look, how could this happen to the date? I mean, all these people prophesied and it made sense and it happened right when God said it was going to happen. And went through the, the Bible with her. She said, wow, this is amazing. She goes, we don't have anything like this you know, in, in my faith. And I go, I know. You know, it, it, it's not just this blind faith that we believe in, but, but the Bible makes sense and it leads us to this point that you can be forgiven and God doesn't want to punish you. God's done everything on His part. He's reconciled you to Himself. You just have to accept it. And she looked at me and she goes, I'm getting sleepy. <laughs> and she goes to bed. You know, she falls asleep there. And So right when she wakes up, I go, hey, did you think about what I said? You know, because, because you guys, the, the Bible here, it says, you know, when it says that God makes His appeal through us, He says in the next verse, or in the end of verse 20, we implore you on Christ's behalf. The word implore means we beg you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Paul is begging, would you please be reconciled? And so I said to this girl, man, I, I just... I care about you. I know I don't know you that well, but I, I really want you to be right when you come before God. I don't want you to face His punishment when you don't have to. And, uh, and, and she still wasn't accepting it. You know, and, and there's only so much you can say, only so much you can do. And I just thought, you know, I want to represent God well. And, and I just, you know, I, I said, you know what? My God, is there, is there anything I can do for you? Anything I can pray for? in your life, anything you're struggling with. Because I just thought, you know, if I want to represent God, God's the ultimate giver, right? He's just constantly giving to us. He's just this awesome, giving, loving God. And so I just thought, rather than just giving her this message, let me represent God and, and give and say, how can I pray for you? She says, you can pray for my sister. My sister's sick. And I said, what's her name? Zam. Okay, I'll pray for Zam. What, what does she have, like a flu or something? No, she has AIDS. And uh, she have kids? Yeah, she's got a few young kids. Okay, I'll, I'll pray for her. Um, and uh, then I just thought, you know, I, I just want to, I want to just, I, I can't say anymore. I just want to show her God and just took all the money out of my pockets. I go, look, you know, I got like $50 left here. I just want to give this to you. She's like, no, no, I don't want your money. I go, you, you don't understand. I want to give it to you. You see, my, my God has given me so much that I don't deserve. I didn't earn any of it. He just, he just gives it to me. And, and I just love that about him. And in the same way, as a child of God, I just want to give my stuff to people. I just want to show love and, and, and show grace and give people things they don't even deserve. So, you know, I just gave her the money and gave her my email address. And she never gave her life to the Lord, you know, that I know of. You know, it's been a couple of weeks. But I just, my job is just to somehow give them a picture of God. Tell them what God has done for them and then show them somehow and, and be an ambassador. You know, not a jerk. Not someone that's trying to cram it down. And, and then there's such a balance because, you know, we, we always use that phrase, well, I don't want to cram it down someone's throat, right? But there's also that balance of knowing, man, I may never see this person again. And I understand strategy. Okay, you know, like you move in the neighborhood, do you want to just go put flyers on everyone's door or, you know, do you want to get to know them first? I, I don't know. I don't understand it all and I always try to figure out that balance of how much do I say, how much shouldn't I say. But I just think we go way too far in strategy. Um, if you guys, some of you remember, it was like, I 
I think about eight years ago, I don't know for sure, about eight years ago, um, I, I got this phone call, and it was, uh, there, there was this ministry overseas in Germany for the U.S. military, and they called because they have this big summer break camp for the U.S. military kids, and so this guy calls me and says, hey, you know, we want you to come and speak at it, and it's on this little island called Ibiza, you know, in the Mediterranean. And it's just, it's, you know, everyone goes there for vacation and everything else. But basically, this conference takes place at this five-star hotel right on the beach. You know, and, uh, you know, about five, six hundred of these kids will come, and we want you to share the gospel with them and, and, and just preach to them. And uh, so can we fly you and your wife to this island out there in the Mediterranean and put you up in this five-star hotel? And I said, gosh, I'll have to pray about it. Uh, he said, yeah. And... Um, <laughs> You know, and so we go to this place, you know, and it's just, you know, it's like the movies. It's just plush. It's beautiful. And even the suite that overlooks the ocean, you know, it's just, I was like, oh, this is gorgeous, you know. And, um, and, and I remember the first night, though, the leadership said to us, they said, hey, hey, Francis, you know, the first night, don't, don't, don't really talk about God yet. Just, we heard you're funny, so tell some jokes, you know, and, and get to know the people first, and, you know, and just build relationship with the kids. So I thought, all right, you know, hey, funny thing happened on the way to, you know, it just, it was just this weird, you know, hey, get to know me type of night, and tell a bunch of stories, and make them laugh, make them like you, and then the next night, I'm getting ready for my next message, and we get a phone call that that morning, one of the kids at the camp got hit by a truck, and right before I was going to speak, about two hours before I was going to speak, we get a phone call from the hospital. And they say, hey, Matt, that 16-year-old, he just died. And I, oh, I, I just remember hearing that and my heart just sank like, he's somewhere else for all of eternity? Just like that? Someone that was here last night and he's gone? And, and I remember we were in this meeting and they were trying to figure out what I was going to speak on that night. And the leaders at that point say to me, hey, you know... Because Matt passed away, we, we don't think it would be a good idea for you to present the gospel tonight. Because they said, you know what, it may seem like we're manipulating people with the death of this kid, so why don't you not present the gospel tonight either? And I remember my wife was sitting next to me, and just with tears in her eyes, she just looked at these guys. She goes, are you kidding me right now? A kid just died. And we don't know if he's in heaven or hell, because you told my husband, hey, just tell a bunch of stories. And then now that he's, he's dead and, and we don't know where he is, you, you say the next night, hey, don't, don't, don't preach the gospel tonight either. You know, let, let's wait till another kid dies. And she just walked out. And I just remember us sitting in that room. I said, you guys, she's totally right. Man, I, you know, sometimes you can't worry about saying everything just right because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Man, and that's why Paul says here, he goes, man, I'm begging you. He doesn't come up to a crowd and say, okay, you know what, here's Jesus, accept Him or not. He says, man, I'm begging you on Christ's behalf. He goes, it isn't just for me. God loves you. God wants this relationship. And he goes, and I'm begging you guys, please, would you on your part just be reconciled to God? Just accept what He's done for you. He's already done everything. I'm just begging you. Would you just, would you just think for a moment what matters in life? Honestly. I mean, what really matters in life? Oh, I, your health? You guys, it really doesn't matter. You're sick. We're all sick. We're all dying. Did you know that? We're all dying, so it doesn't matter. We're all going to die any moment. 
Okay, that doesn't matter. What matters is that before you die, you reconcile with God. On your part, you're saying, God, I accept what you've done for me. That's all that matters. And Paul's saying, that's why I'm begging you. I'm not just presenting the gospel here. I'm saying, please, would you just, would you just wake up for one moment and say, what is this life all about? Any second, it's going to be over with. And all that's going to matter is, were you reconciled with God? God did His part. He did everything He could. He already paid for your sins. He's not counting your sins against you. All you have to do is accept this free gift. Say, God, I accept you. Have you done that? That's the good news. That's what we're supposed to be telling other people. Man, this is a great, great opportunity. I mean, do you understand that last verse in, 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 uh, in verse uh, 21? I mean, it's just one of those verses I think we should all memorize. He says that God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It says that God made Him who knew no sin. You see, Jesus paid for our, our, our sins on the, on the cross. Now, why couldn't God have just taken anyone? Why didn't He say, okay, let's take, let's take John Gerlach and put him up on a cross. And, and John will pay for the crimes of the whole world. God can't do that. You see, because John's got so many issues in his own life, he'd have to pay for his own sins. It's not like he's this innocent party who's never done anything wrong. He deserves punishment. We all do. But instead, he says, no, let me take my son, him who knew no sin, the one person who has never sinned, Jesus who deserves no punishment whatsoever, he can take someone else's punishment because he doesn't deserve it himself. So we put him on the cross and it says he made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, become sin for us. That means when he was on the cross, he became my sin. He took all of my sin with him on the cross and the Bible says, so then in turn, I could become the righteousness of God. See, when, when Jesus was on the cross, He was representing me. He took all of my sin. And then now, He says, I switch places with Him and I'm totally pure in God's eyes. I'm like Jesus. I'm like Jesus in God's eyes. Like, totally pure, sinless. Just like that. Do you understand that? That He put that righteousness in me. Not only did He take away my sin, but He made me righteous. That's the greatest news in the world. Did you get that? It's, it's like if this week, let's say you, you were paying your mortgage, you're paying your house payment this week. What if you sent off your house payment and the bank calls you and says, hey, we just received your payment, but do you realize that someone actually already paid off your mortgage for you? Not only did they pay off your house, but they overpaid by about half a million dollars. So that's credited to your account now. That's a good day. You know? It's like, are you kidding me? Someone paid off my house and then gave me a half million dollars? You've got to be kidding me. You understand that's what this is a picture of. It's like, it's the greatest news in the world. It's like, wait a second. You mean my debt, all the punishment that was due me, someone already took it away from me? Then on top of that, He gave me His righteousness, His riches, and a place in heaven? That's a good day. That's the... Man. 
that's the good news of the gospel. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I've given you that message. I speak it through you now. Now go out and tell people that. Good news. Everything you've done, it doesn't have to be counted against you anymore. God's reconciled himself to, to you. And now, you know what? It's, it's, it's time for you to be reconciled to God. Just take some time to thank Him, to accept Him, to say, you know what, I believe you did that for me, and I can't believe it, I accept. You know, in, 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 uh, in Acts chapter 2, when, when Peter gave that same message and just explained, look, this, Jesus died for you, and, and, and you can be reconciled with God, it, all the people rushed at Him and says, hey, where do I sign up? I mean, they, they just basically said, what do I need to do? How, how, do I, how do I become, you know, this forgiven, reconciled person? And, and he says, you know what? Repent and be baptized. Just, just right now, just say, you know what? I'm, I'm tired of my old ways. I'm not going to stand here, you know, and think that I'm good enough and that I'm going to make the heaven on my own. I, I'm going to accept what Jesus did. Repent and be baptized. Be baptized. And, and basically, you know, 3,000 people ran into the water and says, okay, baptize me. And they just dipped them in the water and they came out representing, you know, I'm dying to my old way of life. I'm rising again. I'm going to live for Christ now. And uh, even this weekend, we've had uh, several people at each service come up and say, you know what, it's, it's my time. And, and I, I, I just got to beg you, if there are any of you in this room that you've never made that commitment, you've never just come before God and said, you know what, I want to be reconciled with you. Thank you for paying for everything on the cross for me. I want you now. I'm ready to follow you now. Gosh, I beg you. Would you please, please be reconciled with God? Don't go another day wondering if you're right with God. This is all that matters. And the worship team's going to come up now. And, and as they lead us in worship, some of you, man, you don't need to be singing a song. You don't need to be putting money in the offering. What God wants is a relationship with you. See, it's not just, it's not just about me wanting you to have this relationship with God. That's true. It's about God himself wanting to spend eternity with you. And he's saying, what, what more can God do for you? Honestly, what more could God do for you? He's done everything on his part. You just have to accept his forgiveness and enter into this relationship. And if you'd like to do that this morning, I'm begging you to do it. Don't wait another day. You don't know if you have tomorrow. And so I'm begging you today, be reconciled with God. It's the greatest thing in the world. It's the greatest news in the world. And if you'd like to do that today, during the worship time, I'll be up here by the prayer room. Others of you that may have questions or just want someone to pray with, we'll be up here to pray for you. But if you'd like to get baptized and just publicly say before God and all of us, look, I want to be right before Him. I want to accept this free gift. Then please, do it today. Don't wait.